0: listening to the Upward Momentum podcast, the podcast where we dive into the stories of individuals who've been faced with challenges in life, yet continue to find opportunity in the middle of difficulty.
1: It's less about what you do and more about showing up in love.
0: Whether it be unemployment, immigration, or living with a terminal illness, and remembering at the end of the day, it's all just a matter of perspective.
1: You know, because the link a lot of times We learn things and we forget to question them.
0: I'm your host, Matt Nelson. And after a short break, we're back, where I sit down with Ashley Jones to talk about her life-changing event that led her to capture life's most precious moments and even start her own charity.
1: The bottom line is, we're all humans and we all have feelings, right? Like, that's part of our humanity.
0: Now get ready, because it all starts now.
1: Gosh, um... Where to begin? I (laughs) went to a great university, um, got married shortly after school, um, and my husband and I were surprised with a pregnancy a year into our marriage um, with a beautiful little girl named Skylar. And we were 25 when we had her, so we were young, and we were scared but excited. You know, it was like, okay, surprise, we're going to be young parents, but also... Um, you know, what a joy and we'll learn to, uh, you know, do this. And so, yeah, um, had a great delivery, um, delivered naturally, just a beautiful experience. And then at a one month old, we noticed something wasn't quite right. Um, her right arm came up like a chicken wing. And when I would pull it down, it would just gradually come back up like a contracture. And I had worked with severely handicapped kids when I was in high school. I volunteered at the local elementary school. And the contracture that she had reminded me of cerebral palsy. But I could also tell that my daughter was able to track me and was mentally sharp. Um, So I was like, it's not cerebral palsy, but I don't know what it is. And a month later, we found out she had a terminal condition called spinal muscular atrophy which is very similar to Lou Gehrig's disease. And so, yeah, it was like go home and love your baby and make the most of your time together because you're going to be lucky to see her first birthday, Um, which is, you know, every parent's worst nightmare. And being the young parents that we were, um, we were the first of all of our friends to have a child, and we were certainly the first of all of our friends to lose a child. And so... um, you know, we kind of became these freaks, right? Because no one knew what to do with us. It was like, um, we were all young. We were all scared. We were all um unsure, you know, in our 20s or mid-20s. And we had a lot of friends just disappear. Um, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. So they didn't do or say anything, uh, which I don't blame them, right? Because mm-hmm. that's so common. Um, but- I did have friends and my husband had friends who showed up to love us really well and they brought us dinner and one friend gifted us a professional portrait session and that gift and that presence, like physical presence of people with us made all the difference in our ability to heal um, and make it through those times. And so what was really cool. um, So We're big believers in organ donation. And so we wanted to donate her organs when she died. But because all the the disease was degenerative, like none of her organs were really going to be useful for anybody. Um, And so that was really hard just because we were like, gosh, we, you know, if we're going to lose her, the hope would be that we could help other people through it. So we found a researcher who had dedicated her career to SMA research And we reached out to her and just said, hey, could you use her body for your research? Um, And then just give us something back to Barry, you know, just um, but but we want to be helpful. And she was like, oh, my gosh, this is a generous gift. This is great. But also, why are you calling me? And I was like, well, you know, she's 10 months old. We're on hospice. The doctors here in Atlanta are telling us there's nothing else we can do. And. She was like, "Oh my gosh, your pulmonologist doesn't know what she's doing." There's a lot more you can do, um, and with her help, we were able to see Skylar's first birthday, and Skylar made it to 21 months old before we had to say goodbye. So it was a really special time because she pretty much doubled her life, and in that second half of her life, is when so much personality comes out. You know, um, it's when you know toddlers start developing like preferences, you know, like I want finding Nemo instead of cars or I want, you know, um, purple instead of pink or whatever. So anyway, um, it was such a gift. And, and when she died uh, and in the months following the photo session that we were gifted really gave me support through the grief and gave me freedom to feel and a way to connect with her and hold her when she wasn't there to hold. And so I just realized, like, how much photographs, physical photographs, are such a powerful tool in the grieving and healing process. And so I wanted to give that gift to others and started volunteering sessions, like portrait sessions, anytime I heard of anyone facing a terminal diagnosis. Um kept doing that more and more. And then my husband was like, honey, I love you and you're giving heart, but please stop. We have our own bills to pay. (laughs) Um, And then I was like, you know, I hear you, but also we were there and we knew that like photography is such a luxury when you're facing life and death. You know, it's like we have medical bills and who knows what the insurance will and won't cover and funeral expenses and all of that. So I was like, I can't charge these families a penny. But If I'm willing to give it all away, I think I can find other people who are willing to help me give it all away. Um, And so I'm going to start a nonprofit and I have zero experience starting a nonprofit. Um, I had started my own businesses um, in the past a photography business and a graphic design business. And those did well, but um, I closed those down to start the nonprofit. And um, I've been running Love Not Lost ever since. So Love Not Lost is you know, nonprofit organization to revolutionize the way we heal in grief. Um, and it's been around for seven years now.
0: Wow. So I'm curious, you know, you talk a lot about sort of grieving and whatnot. Um what sort of yeah, let's talk a little bit about that and kind of more into grieving.
1: Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is we're all humans and we all have feelings, right? Like that's part of our humanity. And I think what's so hard is in school, you know, we're taught about financial things and, you know, math and science and history and all of these great things, Um and then if you go to church or have faith, you're, you're taught a lot about the religious side of things or spiritual side of things or, um, you know, um, traditional, um, you know, tradition and culture side of things. Uh, and yet so often the grieving and emotional side of life is overlooked and dismissed and my husband and i found that to be true like we were we come from privileged backgrounds like we were involved in sports and music and um you know community church activities like we were involved in a lot of different things and not once were we taught how to you know regulate our nervous system or process emotion or heal um and so that was like really really kind of a a shock when we were 25 and then, you know, through the next couple of years of, wow, like we are grown ass adults and we don't know this, like we feel so lost, you know, like we feel so lost and we feel so unprepared. And how did we make it this far in life without getting help in this area? You know?
0: Mm-hmm. So when you, you, you talk about grief and not, um, not really being prepared for it, why do you think that is?
1: I mean when you talk about grief you have to confront your own pain and that's a hard thing to do because we've not been taught how to process emotion right um so it's like this horrible spiral of of you know negative consequences of okay this hurts so we're going to avoid it mm-hmm. um but then we don't fully process it and therefore it causes you know blocks or um issues in our nervous systems and then you know we try and run from the pain um and then we you know when someone wants to talk about it it's like no 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 can't go there i'm going to cry or i'm going to you know like burst into a rage or i'm going to whatever happens because we can't control our emotions um and so i just you know it's so sad to me because i also feel like grief has been um poorly defined and i think grief has a bad reputation when honestly I believe that grief is the process of healing from loss. And so it's not a a bad guy that is trying to make our life miserable, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's actually doing the work to support us after we've lost something we love or someone we love. And so I think that's something to just kind of make note of, um, in your own life is, you know, what have you been taught about grief? What have your experiences been in grief as a child versus as an adult? And what are the beliefs that you've formed and are they true? You know, cause the link, a lot of times we learn things and we forget to question them.
0: So then, so I'm curious then with, with your grieving process and you and your husband, I guess, is, um, mm-hmm. What sort of things did you guys work for you? You know, you mentioned friends bringing over meals and stuff, but then Mm there's also certain friends that just didn't know what to say. So what, what worked?
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's going to be different from person to person. Um, So like, I'm an extroverted, you know, outgoing, like, Hey, let's everyone, like, I'm a verbal processor. I'm like, let's come talk, like, come over and talk and we'll hang out and, you know, vomit all of our emotions everywhere um and then my husband's like very introverted and is like don't come over don't talk to me you know like we're very opposites in that way so there would be times where I would hear him crying in the bathroom and I would be desperate for connection with him you know like like tell me what you're feeling tell me you know and he just couldn't and and since then, we've grown and learned, and and we have a lot more conversation now. But in those, what I call raw grief, which I feel like is at least the first year after a significant loss, um, I feel like in that raw grief, you know, people are just in survival mode. So when you're in survival mode, um, you know, you really can't think of other people. Uh, it's it's truly just like I need to take care of myself. I have to get myself back to a functioning place, um, and so. I think that's really, um, you know, dependent on the person. So for me, it was like, I wanted people to come bring me food and sit and talk and give me a hug and, you know, those things, um, for my husband, like he just so appreciated people who gave us money and people who gave us gift cards and, and people who took care of us financially, um, and, and met our needs because that was something that, you know, even though he had to go back to work right away, I mean, it took so much out of him to go back to work and try and do a normal job after you just lost your kid, you know? And um, and his thankfully, his boss was an amazing human and an incredible leader and gave him so much grace. Um, but it was just really nice. You know, he felt like, that love and support when people were helping provide for us um, bringing food over, you know, leaving it at the door. Um, that was his favorite. He was like, just leave it on the doorstep. Don't talk to us. Um, meanwhile, I'm like, come on in. Do you want to have dinner with us? He's like, no, go away. Um, so anyway, I mean, he's a lovable person, but um, you know, it's just like, we're just very different in that way. So I don't want to paint him a picture as a bad guy, but um, uh, introverts will will understand and and relate. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's like those things are really helpful. People and honestly, too, like so many people get afraid. And feel like they need to know, like like people just assume that they should know what to do. But I just want to tell everyone it is totally okay to ask. And instead of just saying like, hey, call me if you need anything or what do you need right now? Because that puts kind of the responsibility back on the griever to like think of something or to reach back out, which won't happen. I promise you um, is is to ask for a specific thing like, hey, would it be helpful if I if I mowed your yard for a month? Hey, would it be helpful if I took your dogs for a walk every day or hey, would it be helpful if I brought you dinner once a week? you know or whatever it is you can manage like and that's the beautiful thing about asking a question because you can offer what you're willing to do because mm-hmm. if some if you just say like oh what can i do for you and someone's like oh i actually need help with my laundry and you're like i don't want to touch your laundry you know um it's like <laughs> you know you have to like it's it's good to offer what you're comfortable with doing and then like let them choose from that list and so we actually created a tool to help people do that and it's free Um, And it's called howcaniloveyoubetter.com. And so you get to create a checklist that you're willing to do and you email it to the person who needs the support. And then they can like check from your list of checkboxes what would be most helpful. And then it gets emailed back to you with a preferred date and time. So that's something we created because we saw that need and wanted to help people have the confidence and overcome the fear of that interaction.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it really sounds like you were able to take something and turn it like something that's super impactful in your life. You know, obviously this, this process of grieving and you turn it into an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So how were you able to
2: do that?
1: I mean, going back to people showing up for us, you know, when Skylar died, we were so, I, I hate to use the word broken. Cause that implies like there's something wrong with you, but Our hearts were so shattered that it was really hard for us to love ourselves, let alone each other. And so kind of jumping back to your last question quickly, it's less about what you do and more about showing up in love. So like, If you're worried that you're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, like you're letting fear control that interaction. And instead, if we can refocus our energy on the love side of things and say, you know, what would be most helpful for them or what's the best way that I can love them right now? And sometimes that's just being present and not saying a single word and just saying, hey, I'm just going to sit with you for an hour you know, or like, I'm just going to be on your front porch. If you want to come out and hang out, great. If not, no worries. I'm just going to read a book, um, you know, and, and just like offering your presence because that's like so powerful. Um, again, and it's so powerful because not many people do it, right? It's like um, showing up. So to go back to your current question, like, how did I do it? I didn't do it alone. And And in some ways, you know, grief is really isolating and you feel like you're alone. Um, But in the bigger picture of the world, you know, so many people grieve and so many people have similar losses um, that, you know, I think suffering is one thing that connects us all together. Um, And so people showing up to love us well helped me put those shattered pieces of my heart back together. And so each time someone showed up to love me, it was like stitching those pieces back together. And then me learning how to love myself and forgive myself and, you know, take care of myself Um, because it's not just everyone else's responsibility. You know, like community is important for healing, but really healing is our own work to do. And so there is that internal personal element and then there's the community support that gives you the strength to keep going, you know,
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and I had that and I am so grateful for that. And if you don't have that and you're like, oh man, I wish I had that, but I don't, it's like our biggest support was through our church at the time. Um, And I know not everyone has those supportive churches, Um. But you can find other communities to be a part of, like improv groups or you know like business networking groups or whatever it is that's your thing. Um, find a community and get plugged in because at some point we are all going to suffer, and the point of community is to shoulder that burden together and sometimes you're gonna be high and someone else is gonna be low and you'll be the one to be able to give that love and support um and other times you know, you'll be the one low and you're going to look up to other people to say, hey, I need some help, you know, um, who can come over and mow my lawn or, you know, check my mail for me or whatever it is, you know. And so, you know, you can build that ahead of time and build those relationships, not for the sole purpose of that, but just so you have that networking community because we weren't meant to do this life alone. You know, that's why they like the worst um, punishment for prisoners is isolation. You know, it's like, there's a reason for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So you talk a lot about community, which seems to be sort of a common theme we hear about mm-hmm. nowadays. What are your thoughts in terms of building a community?
1: <laughs> well, it is really interesting. Um, first of all, I think social media started down something really beautiful in being able to connect us all virtually and, um, allow us to share thoughts and ideas and pictures and updates, but social media is for profit. And because of that, it turned sour pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, instead of focusing on the good of the community that they were building, um, it became about ads and it became about selling things and it became about the numbers of engagement. And they quickly learn that when people get pissed, (laughs) that, you know, they're more likely to engage and start, you know, um, name calling wars and, you know, uh, just drama fests. And so I think, you know, what happened is the algorithms on social media, like, started raising the conversations and the, the emotions of anger and, um hatred and and it just broke apart really quickly um and then also to their you know their focus is the ads and pushing out um things that are not in the best interest of the community mm-hmm. um in real life i think building a community is um is really important as well. So to have like a virtual community and an, and an in-person, I think is is both important. If you could only choose one, I would um, go for the in-person. But um, building a community is something we've given a lot of thought to and have um, we are currently attempting to build our own. And the hope is as a nonprofit, um, our online community called The Love Well is um, something that we can keep with everyone's best interest in mind and continue, you know, doing stuff to benefit each of our members for free um, and continuing to meet needs and connect people and provide real engagement, real support. Um, So, yeah, it's called The Love Well. And if you want to join, you can just go to our website, lovenotlost.org, And there's a banner at the top um, that says join love. Well, you can also get to it by love, not slash love. Well, and the idea is kind of what I was mentioning before in a community is like the love. Well, the idea is that you have this bucket that goes into a well of love. And sometimes you'll be on the bottom and sometimes you'll be at the top. And the, the goal is that our community would really love each other well, and be both sides of the love. Well, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so, um, yeah, we're working really hard to, to make that the best of the best of an online community. Um, so in you can set up an individual profile. You have self-assessments that are free. So you have the Enneagram, the DISC assessment, and the Myers-Briggs. And the hope is that as we help you learn about yourself um, and become more self-aware and understanding yourself, you can learn how to love yourself better and support yourself better. But also with your Profile being public, and you can make it private if you want. But with your profile being public, like you can log in there right now and see my Enneagram Disk Assessment and Myers Briggs results on my profile. And what's really cool about that, and what we hope to build out in the future, is like you could log into mine and be like, oh, Ashley's an extrovert, extrovert, and she's a two, like her leading two on the Enneagram. And so she's a helper so she probably struggles asking for help because she's always helping everyone else and she's an extrovert so i'm just going to show up at her door and like give her something right or like do her yard and not even ask her because like she's a helper and i'm sure you know like that'll be be okay um and and so as we dive deeper into those we're we're working on creating a learning library that will um, we'll be interviewing top experts in their field. So we'll have a Myers-Briggs expert, an Enneagram expert, and a disk assessment um, expert to kind of like dive into those tests with us and explain what they mean and how to really interpret your results and then how to use those to support others through grief and through hard times. Um, we also want to build out more of the learning library with other experts like psychologists and Um, even going into the spiritual realm and the energy realm, like, um, yoga, like grief yoga instructors, sound bath healers, like there are so many modalities to healing and our bodies are so interconnected that it really does take a number of different modalities to, to heal. Like, it's not just one thing. Um, you know, like if you break a bone, like, yeah, you just need to like reset it and let it heal. But if you get in a car crash and you have broken bones that punctured along and have, you know, like other things going on, you need different doctors to address different parts. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we when we get hurt emotionally, some of that is stored in our body. Some of it's stored in our heart. Some of it's in our um, tissues and in our emotions. And so different modalities can speak to different parts in our body. So I think that's really important. That's often overlooked you know it's like oh just go to therapy but you know talk therapy only gets you so far and so if you're experiencing trauma or you know if it's being held in your body you need other support to really fully heal
0: yeah so i'm curious about something because you you know you talk about grief and sort of your process and these these different sort of healing methodologies so couple couple things here first i'm just curious to know what what you found, if there was anything specific that you used to sort of help you heal from that.
2: Hmm.
0: And then I guess the second part to this is what have you learned about yourself through this whole process?
2: Oh, <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, okay. So when I first, well, look back up. When Skylar was first diagnosed, my body went haywire. Like my thyroid went hyperactive. I developed autoimmune conditions because my body was so overwhelmed with that news Mm. that and I didn't know how to process it. And so my body was trying to help me deal with the stress. It was was like it overwhelmed my nervous system. And so I learned very quickly that stress, um, you know, stress is needed for growth. Like when we stress our muscles out, that's how we build new muscle. Um, But if you overload it, you're going to tear something, right? And things are going to um, break. And so I quickly learned that like, st- like the overwhelm of a diagnosis or, you know, that um, inability to process um, pain was going to negatively affect me. And so luckily my body, you know, after the initial hormone dump in my thyroid, it, you know, fixed itself. Um, but even to this day, I'm still dealing with some autoimmune conditions. Um, and, and I realized, you know, in that raw grief year that I didn't want to be like an angry, bitter old woman. Right. Because I saw people in my life who had lost kids and, I felt like they went one of two ways and it was either being like super resentful and angry and bitter and just like, you know, unhappy with life and then like really beautiful, generous, kind, loving, caring people. And when I looked at those two people and I'm like, okay, Skylar just died. I'm 27 years old. Like, hopefully I have a lot of life left. I don't want to waste my life being bitter and angry and resentful. Like that's not the life I want to live. Right. So, so how do I get to this place? How do I heal? How do I um, get out of this kind of poor me feeling? And again, kind of like in the healing that I just talked about, there isn't just one thing. Right. So I can't just say like, Oh yeah. I like, Did a bunch of EMDR therapy and then I'm fine. Um, I mean, I have literally spent the last 10 years of my life healing and and trying out new things Um, like I've done sensory deprivation float tanks. I've done hyperbaric oxygen chambers. I've done sound baths. I've done, um, you know, yogas and meditations and I mean, all sorts of things to figure out like what best communicates with my body. And and where the pain is in my body. And some of that's just trying to figure out where it is like I was having this weird abdominal pain for the last eight years. Could never no doctor could figure it out. And then I was like, you know what, I haven't tried cranial sacral therapy and some people have told me about it and it's really good for trauma. And so and I just feel like my body's still holding on to some stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go check it out. This was like just this past December. So if you like two months ago. And she pushed her hand on my abdomen, turned it, and then kind of like pushed in a little bit deeper. And I like leapt off the table. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, that's the pain. That's the pain I've been feeling for eight years that no one could figure out. Like, what is that? Is it a tumor? Is it a muscle? Like, what is that? And she was like, oh, it's your tissue. It's your fascia. And your fascia is so tight and and pulled on your right side that it's causing you a lot of pain. And we're going to have to spend some time working it out. And she's like, that's pretty standard for trauma um, survivors, too. And I've experienced some other stuff, too, that was very traumatic. And so she was like, it's, it's pretty common, um, but I think we can work it out and, and you'll be fine. And I was just so happy because I literally, like I was telling my husband, I was like, I think I'm dying. Like, no one can figure out this pain, you know, like what if it's a tumor? What if it's something else, like some random disease I don't know about? Um, so that was really exciting because it was like, oh my gosh, this is a new modality that my body needed, you know, and that was the connection that I needed to, to bring that deeper healing to my body. So, um, you know, healing can look like a lot of different things. And it's what we tell people is it's really, really, really important, like critical for you to become self-aware. Like, where does your body hurt? When does it hurt? Does it hurt when you eat certain things? Does it hurt when you do certain things? And then really listening to your body. So like sometimes, um, like I photographed, so the main program of Love Not Lost is photographing people facing a terminal diagnosis and offering a free portrait session and printed photos afterwards. And I went into a session And I didn't know that I was going to be photographing this baby as it was dying. I thought I was just going in to photograph the baby in the NICU. Um, But I took my camera out and the mom didn't speak a lot of English. She was um, primarily Spanish speaking. And as soon as I pulled my camera out, she goes, no, 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 no. And I was like, what? And I looked over at the nurse and I was like, dude, you told me to come take pictures. Like the mom saying no, like, oh, my gosh, I feel horrible. What is going on? And the nurse goes, oh, she didn't want any pictures with the tubes in. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, so you're literally going to take life support out and I'm going to photograph the baby with no tubes in, but the baby's going to be dying, you know, like actively. And so after that session, and and that's what happened um, after that session, I was really traumatized because that was the first time I had witnessed a baby dying since my own daughter died and hearing the wailing in the morning like it was it was intense and afterwards i was like wow i feel like a shell of a human like i am not functioning right now and so i sat in my car and i was like what do i need right now and i just asked myself what do you need and i like cried i had a really good cry and it was a hot july day it was my husband's birthday which is why i remember it and i was like you know what and i'm in the south so it was like extra hot and humid And I was like, I just feel like I need to eat my feelings right now. And so I went to this ice cream shop and just got a giant bowl of strawberry ice cream and just went to town. And that cold and the sweetness really did like it lifted my my spirits a little bit. And I was like, okay. I was like, my body is really talking to me, you know, like, well, what else do you need? And as soon as I asked that, I just felt tension all down my back. And I was like, you know what? I think I have, you know, I was like, I think I can get a massage. Let me let me call and see if anyone has any openings. And one of the spas in town was like, can you get here in 15 minutes? And I was like, yes, I can. And so um, so I did. And I was really intentional about like feeling everything. And like, as you know, she was working out knots in my back, like really just releasing things and. It was really powerful. And I got up off the table and I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like a human again. Like, I feel like I'm functioning again. And um, my husband's parents were coming in to town to take us out to dinner. And I was like, let me just go. I have a, um, a chiropractor that I see regularly. And I was like, let me just go to the chiropractor. I feel like that's the last thing to really lock it all in. Um, and I, I, my husband called and was like, hey, my parents just got here. And I was like, cool, I'll see you you know, and give me 20 minutes. Um, and it was so amazing because it it felt so simple that day. Right. Just like asking myself what I needed and, and, and doing those things. And I know not everyone can just go and get a massage. Like, I I mean, I can do that every now and then, but I can't do it all the time. Um, but it's like, you know, how, how can we listen to our body? Like some days it's just journaling for me. Like sometimes I just need to write it all out and get it out. Um, Sometimes it's going for a walk or playing with dogs. Like I don't have a dog anymore. Um, my dog died in 2020, but I feel like, you know, like sometimes I'll just call friends and be like, can I play with your dog? <laughs> it's like good pet therapy, you know? Um, and so it's like, there are so many things that don't require money that you can do to help take care of yourself if you can just hear what you need and listen to what you need. And so one quick follow-up story I want to share about that is a month later, I had to do the same thing. I went to the same NICU, had the same situation, but this time I was prepared. So it wasn't as traumatic because I knew what was coming and I could like emotionally prepare myself for it. And I got done with that and I didn't feel traumatized. I didn't feel like a shell of a human. I was very sad, of course, but it was like, okay, like I'm grieving. That's normal. And then I asked my body what I needed because I was like, do you want some ice cream? <laughs> you know, and my body's like, no. And I'm like, no. Like, what do you mean you don't want ice cream? Come on. I want I ice like, cream. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, well, do you want a massage? You know, and my body was like, no. And I was like, what? Come on. You know, um, and and it was wild because I was just like, OK, like my body is not telling me what it wants. So I'm just I, I made a deal. I was like, all right. I'm just going to sit here and get work done. I went back to my office. It was in the afternoon. I was like, all right, until you tell me what you need, I'm just going to sit here and get work done. And then I worked through the evening and it was like, "Okay, I need to get a bite to eat and go to bed. And that's all my body needed that day, you know, um, was to be productive, to rest and eat. And that was it. Um, So even the same person from situation to situation can grieve differently. Mm -hmm. um and so that's what the the main point of sharing both of those stories is like like from the outside they were the same situation but because I had different inputs in both of those situations they were very different experiences for me and how my body processed that was very traumatic the first time and not traumatic the second time so the way that I grieved was very different same thing for like grieving my daughter versus grieving my aunt versus grieving my dog versus grieving my best friend's mom. You know, it was like, those were all very different experiences um, within my own self. Right. And so a lot of it's relationship dependent um, as well as your circumstances, like how well are you supported in that moment? Where are you? Um, You know, do you have things that make you feel safe and comfortable? You know, that, that make you feel supported. So, um, back to your question on like, how do we heal and how do we, you know, really find community in that and, and support in that. I think it very much depends on person to person, but also situation to situation, even within the same person.
0: Okay. Well then I, got a couple more for you, but the other one is, is the, the growth, like what the, the bit of the loaded question like how yeah. sort of what you've you've noticed about yourself and how you've transformed as an individual over these years.
1: Yeah. Um, So starting out, obviously, I was very depressed, very low. Um, my dog is fully responsible for getting me out of bed every day. I don't have any other kids. Skylar was our first and only, and because her condition is genetic, we've made the decision to not have any more kids, and so. Um, you know, we might adopt in the future, but right now it's not on the table. And so, um, and at the time, certainly we weren't going to add any more kids into our family. And so I was alone and my husband went back to work after Skylar died. And I had been a stay at home mom and caregiver for two years. So, you know, my whole identity was just turned upside down. And, I would like <laughs> lay face down in the pillow every morning after my husband went to work and just lay there and be like, why should I even get up? Like, I know why people kill themselves because like, I feel like I have nothing left. You know, I, I like, what's the point, you know? And um, it was a very dark time. And my dog would sit at the edge of the bed and and stick his nose up on the edge of the bed and be like whining to go outside. And I would just be like, like in still face down in my pillow, just like Reese, just pee on the floor. I don't even care. You know, like, just leave me alone. And he was so well-trained and such a good boy um, that he just sat there and whined for like an hour. Um, And I finally felt so guilty because I was like, Ashley, you can't even get your butt out of bed to like, let your freaking dog out. You know, like your dog needs you Um, that it it got me out of bed and she died August 16th again, we're in the South. And so it was like, you know, it was so great because when you open the door, it was like sunshine and heat and, you know, breeze. And it was, I mean, you got some humidity too, but it was like in August, it was still like just end of August, September, the fall was moving. It was like just beautiful weather. And so I, um, yeah, I would, I would open the door to let him out. And then, you know, he would always have to like most dogs like walk around in circles to find his little pee spot. And and so we were like, I would just sit there waiting on him, but I would be getting vitamin D. I would be getting fresh air. I would be getting sunshine and the warmth that just felt like, you know, the world giving me a hug. um, And that really helped me in those early days. um, And then when my dog kind of like got me out of the worst of it, I was like, well, now I need to find a new purpose. Right. Cause I'm no longer a mom and caregiver and I don't really want to go back to what I was doing before. Um, so I started my own companies and really, um, invested in learning. Right. So like I had a, uh, kind of like an interesting background. So I started at Clemson university with a biochemistry major and thought I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> and then I learned like even if you wanted to do research or just stare at x-rays, you still had to cut on dead people. And I was like, no, I was like, no, that's it. Uh, uh, so like, what, what else can I do? Um, so I was like, well, let's go from left brain to right brain and went to graphic communications and did graphic communications with a business administration minor. So I knew just enough to like start something and think I knew what I was doing, you know? Um, And then got into it and very quickly realized I don't even know at all what I'm doing. Uh, And so I started taking business courses. Um, I found Creative Live in like back in the early days when it was just for photographers and it was awesome. Um, And that was so helpful. Um, I found, you know, this guy, Ramit Sethi, who's like this amazing personal finance guy, but also has like amazing online business courses. And between, you know, the different online learnings, I that helped me through depression like when you when you develop new neural pathways it can really help you get out of that low place so that was really helpful I was finding purpose in life again you know like connecting with new people but um but I still felt like I was meant for more you know and so I think for me part of that growth was really trying to dive in and discover like okay like what's next? Like, how do I, like, how do I use this to help people? Right. Cause I have all this like really weird specialized knowledge. So like, like I said, I went to, you know, super into science, thought I was going to be a doctor, which made me the best mom for Skylar because I could converse with the doctors. I would like sit in on her swallow study and like watch her drink the barium on the x-ray machine and was like, oh, cool. You know, like, and, and I was just like a total nerd. And, um, and so it was like, but it was beautiful because I could engage that part of who I was to really provide the best care for her. So I became her like physical therapist. I did respiratory therapy. I ran all of the equipment that, you know, turned, <laughs> quickly turned our nursery into a, um, you know, medical room. Um, but I was able to, to do all of that at home and care for her. And so it was like, I have all this weird science you know, knowledge and and care for how to care for these fragile children. Um, do I want to become a nurse? Do I want to become a doctor? Like, how do I want to use that? Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then through the growth and starting my own business, like I love learning things. I always have had an entrepreneurial mindset. I get that from my mom. She like comes up with the craziest things. Um, And, and so through that, it was just like, Okay, I don't think I want to go the doctor nurse, you know, support route. But as I was learning about grieving and healing through my own journey, and then as I started supporting others by doing sessions for other people and really walking alongside of them through their journeys, I was like, oh, I can help people through grief and see all the areas in our society where we're not meeting the mark and create tools and resources and like bridge this gap, which fills my entrepreneurial need. I fill my science need because I've like researched the crap out of, you know, grief and trauma and, you know, different healing modalities. And I've read way too many books and watched way too many courses for not having an actual degree in any of that. Um, And it was just a really beautiful time of my growth and learning to say, Man, I could really use all the best parts of me to create a nonprofit that's not going to be, you know, um, corrupted by profits and corrupted by money and greed. Um, to genuinely help people, you know, to genuinely help people and create tools and make them accessible and keep them free as long as we possibly can so that, you know, um, everybody has access and And really also too, like, you know, I think about single moms, like we've we've served so many families where, you know, a husband is dying and or even a wife is dying and and that the person becomes a single parent with multiple kids and and they're just overwhelmed and they don't know what to do and they don't have the support and the tools that they need. And so part of the the love well community that we are building right now is to really give people that platform to find other people who've gone through similar things, to build connections with people who get it, you know, um, and and really to, we're building out a learning library. So it's not up there yet. Just my TEDx talk is is the only thing as a placeholder right now. But we're going to be building out that content that I was talking to you about earlier with the self-assessments and um, and also, you know, all of this other helpful information on how to support ourselves and how to support others because so many people don't have the access to pay for therapy for themselves let alone their kids you know and um to to know where to look like when i started looking for my own healing at some of the resources that were out there i was appalled i was like we have self-driving cars right? Like we have self-driving cars and this stuff is from the 60s and the 80s and it's super clinical and it's not empathetic. And like a lot of the good stuff was just people telling their own story, which was helpful. But and in the raw grief, I was like, I can't read someone else's pain right now. I'm hurting so much myself. I don't need their story of pain. Um, And so it was like, I just need a practical tool. Someone tell me what to do, you know? Um, like I'm a doer. Give me, give me a to-do list. Give me something. Um, and so for me, one of the resources, one of the early resources that I found was a book called the, oh gosh, the, it's in our library, the handbook to grief. Um, I'm going to look it up right now because it was so helpful and, um, They gave you practical tools to, and like exercises. Oh, the grief recovery handbook. So the grief recovery handbook was the first book that was like, Hey, we're so sorry. This sucks. You know, we understand. And here are some exercises for you to do. Get a piece of paper, you know, do this and this write a letter. And I was like, I can do that. You know, like, yes, give me, give me something to do. Um, And so that was actually really helpful. And when I read that book, I did it, I read it in a weekend and did all the exercises in the same weekend. Um, And the next day I got pneumonia and I wasn't around anybody. Like it was wild because I got pneumonia and I also learned in uh, like ancient Chinese medicine that grief is held in the lungs. And so when I got pneumonia, I was like, oh, nice. Like my body's. Trying to help me heal, right? Like it's literally helping me cough it out of my lungs. Um, and so, again, it's kind of like going back to, um, you know, really being self aware, understanding that, again, grieving is the process of healing. And so it's not something we should push away or run from, but having the expectation that it's not going to be easy and there's probably going to be pain involved in the healing process. Um, like pneumonia wasn't fun. Like Mm -hmm. my, I, my, my ribs were so bruised from coughing so much, but I, it was the first time in my life that I was grateful for my sickness because I understood my body was working with me. And I think that's something we're not taught either is our bodies are designed to heal. And sometimes they need a little help from us, sometimes we get in the way of the healing and we need to just stop doing whatever we're doing. That's causing us pain. Um, but our bodies are working with us in this life. They're not just like these like fleshy meat sacks that are inactive, you know, like they, they have this like divine design. That's like, you know, they can heal. Um, mm-hmm. Like when we get a paper cut, it's like, Oh my gosh, it's gone the next day. It's like, Wow. Uh, magic. So I think it's, it's one of those things, um, you know, emotionally too, like some things are like an emotional paper cut and they'll go away and we don't even have to be intentional about it. Um, uh, but some things are like a broken femur where you're like, no, I need some help with this one. So, um, yeah, I just think, uh, in general, I think our bodies and our emotions are very misunderstood. And my goal is to, really help people understand just how much grief is not only misunderstood, but a lot of the information we have about grief is wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and really giving people the tools and the courage to face it and to embrace it. Um, and knowing that like everybody is so different, right? And we need to make space for that. And so um, You know, one of the biggest misconceptions I saw was um, when I learned about it, it was like one of those like mind blowing emotion uh, emoji, you know, moments was when I learned about the five stages of grief and how Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who discovered them, she discovered them by watching and observing people facing their own death which makes so much sense, right? Because it's a, like five stages, a linear progression, the last stage is acceptance, and then you die. And there's like a final endpoint. So like the five, calling it the five stages of grief made sense to me. But if you try and take that and apply it to all grief, it doesn't make sense. And then people feel like they're doing it wrong because they're like, oh, I haven't felt one of the stages or this one came sooner or, you know, I haven't gotten to acceptance yet, you know. And And so if you're listening to this and and you're like, oh, my gosh, yes, please hear me when like there is no right or wrong way to do grief like you just have to be and you have to be with yourself and you have to support yourself through it. And I think there are healthy ways to do that. Um, But I think, you know, let's let's let go of the judgment of right and wrong. Right. Like, let's just listen to our bodies and do the best we can in supporting a healthy, Return to wholeness.
0: Yeah, well, it really sounds like you've, as they say, and and funny. I actually have a coaster on my desk here that says, "In the middle of difficulty lies opportunity." It's an Albert Einstein quote. Mm. Um, so with that in mind, just you know, what what's the next chapter for you? Going now? I mean, you've you've come from this this roller coaster of of grieving and and found opportunity.
1: I think for me, the next, well, one growing love, not lost for sure. Um, You know, the past bunch of years, we've really been working on a scalable model and we now have all of those systems ready to be tested. So this next year is, is really pushing to scale to a national level. So photographers across the country are welcome to apply to join us as a member. Um, you know, we have families applying from all over the United States. Um, that it's really, actually, quite amazing because we're not doing any marketing, um, and we keep getting families from like California and Washington and New York and Boston, and you know, it's like Florida and Texas. And you're just like, oh my gosh, where are these people coming from? Um, and so we're like, oh, we got to get photographers to, you know, get on board. So if you know of a photographer, please send them our way. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's the focus for this this next year is really scaling our photography program. Uh, we call it our preserving memories program, and and then you know I have I I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I always have things. And I was telling my coworker the other day that I feel like I'm this like giant iceberg, and people only see the little tip of what I'm doing and what I'm working on. And I think I would terrify people. If they knew how big the iceberg was underneath the water, (laughs) because I just always have ideas and I always have things, you know, that I'm working on. Um, I have about four books inside of me that are like really like busting to come out. Um, I do a lot of speaking engagements and uh, yeah, it's 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 really fun. You know, I really as much as the work is heavy and as much as, you know, we enter into really tough times with people, it is for me, the entrepreneurial side is so fun to just look at all the problems of where we're failing as a society and to create new things to like genuinely help people. Like I said, I'm like that two energy in the Enneagram. It's like, let me help. Um, and so I, I really feel like I'm just so aligned with, you know, who I am and and what I'm doing in the world to utilize my best gifts and talents. Um, and just personality uh so yeah just leaning hard into that and creating new tools creating new resources expanding our online community and uh getting our preserving memories program to national level
0: amazing well ashley i can't thank you enough again for for joining me today um and just sort of with all this in mind if somebody wants to get in touch with these programs or get in touch with you um what would be the best way to do that
1: LoveNotLost.org is our website, and that has um, links to pretty much every program and, um, you know, the place to apply, to join the Love Well, um, you know, all of that. If you want to connect with me personally, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So find me, Ashley Nicole Jones. You can search. Love Not Lost would probably be the easier way to find me. (laughs) So find Love Not Lost, um, because there are lots of Ashley Joneses out there. Um, And... You know, send me a connection request, you know, shoot me a little hello. Um, and then, yeah, social media is just at lovenotlost.org across the different platforms.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Ashley. Um, Thank you. Stay tuned for more. I'm sure Ashley and I will chat again. And if you haven't already subscribed, uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and take care and keep creating upward momentum in
2: your life.